So I want to start off now. I want you guys to just imagine that there is a ringing that's just continuing on. Can you hear it? I did that. That was me. Um, so imagine this. Imagine you, you are, have just arrived outside of a theater, and you're about to watch a play, and you're just arriving, and at this theater, this play that's being put on, this story is being written by the greatest story that there has ever been, and you are about to witness the acting out of the greatest story that's ever been told by this great storyteller. And you go, you, you get to the theater, and it's crowded, and you're pushing through people, and your friends and your family are there, and you sit down at your seat, and you open up the bulletin, and as you open up the bulletin, you're seeing who's playing what part. And there's two main characters, and the first main character you look at, and next to the name, it says, saying the person who's playing it, it says, it's a surprise. In other words, it's not telling you. It's this big surprise you don't get to know. And you like, that's strange. I've never seen that before. And, and I'm not assuming you guys have been to tons of plays, but you get the idea here. So then the next person, the next main character, you look by their name and your mouth opens up with shock because written is your name. And then all of a sudden, the spotlight comes down upon you. And then an actor comes out and gets you and says, okay, are you ready? Let's go. We got to go backstage and get ready. You're like, what is going on? And so they bring you backstage and they're like, you're going to be in this play. And you're like, wait, I don't know any of the lines. I don't know what's going on right now. And they say, wait, don't worry. You are in the hands of the greatest storyteller there's ever been. So trust him. And right before you go out, one of the actors says, congratulations, you have just been written into the greatest story that has ever been told. That is what baptism is. Baptism is actually the playing out of the greatest story that's ever been told in a matter of seconds. And guess what? The person that's being baptized, it's like they're being written into the story. They're an actor in this divine drama. They're an actor in this divine play that's happening, this grand story of rescue, and they are an actor in it, meaning they're playing their part. God has written the story, and they're entering into it. And that's exactly what baptism is, the story of you and God. And the Christian story the kingdom of God, it's happening all, of, all around us right now, right? So, so our doubts cause us to not see it. We have this faith that we struggle and we're missing the story, but there's a story, a grand story happening all around us right now. And baptism is the picture of someone being swept up into that story, this grand story, the greatest story that's ever been told, the story that all other stories are pointing to, the story that will be sung about through all of eternity, this grand story of God. Millions of people entering into it, yet it's all the same unique story. God rescuing the world one person at a time. That's a beautiful story. And our verses today are actually a song about this very thing. It's a song about God rescuing his people, bringing them through the waters. And that's what today is all about. And what you got to think about the song as I'm, as I'm reading it, I'm not going to sing it, I'm just going to read it, but it is a song in the Bible. And it's like the theme song to this grand play, this grand narrative, this grand drama that's being played out. So here's the theme song. It's Psalm 136. It says, "'Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good.'" 
for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him whom alone does great wonders, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, for his steadfast love endures forever. And brought Israel out from among them, for his steadfast love endures forever. With a strong hand and an outstretched arm, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who divided the Red Sea in two, for his steadfast love endures forever. And made Israel pass through the midst of it, for his steadfast love endures forever. Who overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea, for his steadfast love endures forever. To him who led his people through the wilderness, for his steadfast love endures forever. And gave their land as a heritage, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of heaven, for his steadfast love endures forever. Now, yeah, there you go, Joe. All right, so this, this story, this is what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to take this story and we're going to divide it up into two acts. Act one is from slavery to freedom, and act two is from the wilderness to paradise. So from slavery to freedom, and then from the wilderness to paradise. So act one is all about this, slaves passing through the waters of sin and death to come out on the other side free. Act one. So this story, this being sung, it's, it's called something. It's called the Exodus. So we just essentially sang right through the story of the Exodus. Now something fascinating that helps us understand the story of the Exodus is the book of Genesis. Because what's happening is Moses is the one who leads God's people through this exodus, through the parting of the sea where they pass through the sea onto dry land. And Moses is this fantastic leader who steps in to lead God's people through to rescue them from Egypt. Like there's slaves in Egypt, he's rescuing them out of that. And here's what he does. He writes the book of Genesis to them. And there's all these grand stories in the book of Genesis. And all of God's people, the Israelites, they would have known these stories. And they would have known these stories. And what what Moses does is he's like, I'm going to compile all of these stories into this book of Genesis so that I can show God's people that it was good, that they were rescued from slavery, and so that they will press on through the wilderness into the promised land. Now, in these stories... They're helping God's people realize that God is at work again. He's doing something new. And what's happening to them is not by accident. And what baptism is and what these stories are are to tell you that the things that are happening in your life, God is doing things, he's orchestrating things, and they're not happening by accident. And they're ultimately made to lead you to him. From slavery to freedom. Now, here we go. So, Act 1. Here it is. God's people have found themselves underneath the rule of this evil, evil king. How evil do you want to know this king is? Here's how evil. He does not want God's people, the Israelites, to take over and not become slaves to them anymore. So, what he starts doing is he starts killing the baby boys who are being born. 
And so you can imagine how these Israelites are feeling, the, these moms and dads, the, the moms like just finishing painful childbirth, and all of a sudden someone's going to come in, try to take their baby and kill their baby. So this is how bad it is. This is how evil this guy is. So they're underneath this ruler. Now watch what Moses does. So go back to Genesis. So they're reading the book of Genesis. As all this is happening, God's people are reading the book of Genesis. And, go, and Moses writes Genesis 1, 2, and 3. And in Genesis 3, Moses described the very depiction of what evil is by the image of a snake, by the image of a serpent. The representative of all evil is this serpent. Now, here's the significance of that. This evil ruler that has God's people captive, he would have been wearing a crown. And on that crown, do you know what there's an image of? A snake. So here's what Moses is doing. Do you know this evil pharaoh, this evil king? He's like the snake king. He's like the snake, the representative of all evil that was found in that garden of Eden. And in this garden, in Genesis chapter 3, there's a promise from God that this snake is going to get crushed. Well, we actually see that happen where the plagues come down and they're crushing this evil snake king, Pharaoh. Now, it's genius what he's doing because Genesis has just depicted Pharaoh as like Satan, like the spawn of Satan, you could say. Moses is telling his readers that Pharaoh, this evil king, is the representative of evil and death and he has to go down. He has to get crushed. All right, that's the first thing you got to know. Is there feedback coming through? No? Okay. Second thing in Genesis you got to understand is, there, is the waters. There's actually two very significant stories in the book of Genesis. And, and waters has, is very important in baptism, if you didn't know. Waters is important. And so, here's the stories of the waters. First, and by the way, you got to know this about waters as well. Water represents two things. So if, if water is calm... In the Bible, that represents the peace of God. And if water is chaotic and destructive, and, uh, it represents death and evil. So if you see chaotic waters described in the Bible, that's like death and evil. And if you see calm waters, it's like the peace of being with God. And so Moses wants his readers to understand a few things. And so here, here's, what, here's the story. Creation. And guys, you got to grab this. This is so awesome what God is doing here, what Moses is doing as he's writing this. So the story of creation, the world is being formed, and it's unlivable, it's not inhabitable, meaning there is this stormy storm of seas that are disruptive and chaotic and unlivable. And so what God does is he takes the land and he pulls the land up out of the waters in order to make it a place where we can live. And he pulls this land up and it becomes this mountain garden of God that the Bible calls Eden. And then, watch this, in Eden, there is a special underground water stream. And this special underground water stream starts bubbling up. And then what God does is he takes the same special underground living water stream combined with the dust of the earth and he makes humanity like with this mud, like this clay stuff, like he's the potter. And we're formed. And, and here's the significance of what happens with water. So water, when it's close to God, 
It's like water is, this living water is reactive with God. So the closer this living water is to God, the more uh, calm and peaceful the water is. The further this living water gets from God, the more chaotic and destructive and evil and death-like bringing the water becomes. And so what happens is water forms up and God makes humanity with this water and then it forms up into a river in Eden and then it exits Eden and it forms four rivers. And as these four rivers get further and further from Eden, these waters are becoming more chaotic and more destructive until they, until they empty out into the ocean, the chaotic ocean of sin and death and destruction. So that's the imagery that we have at the creation story. And because we're made of this same water, because we're made of this water, here's what it means for you. The closer you are to God, because you're made of the same water, the same living water underneath the ground, because you're made of it, the closer you are to God, the more at peace you are. And the further you run from God, the more destructive you feel, the more angry you feel, the more lifeless you feel, the less hope that you feel, the less love that you feel, the further and further and further that you get and run from God. And so the story of creation goes like this. Adam and Eve are with God in Eden, and then they run. They want away from him. And as they're, being, as they're leaving Eden and running from God, humanity becomes to get more and more destructive. Why? Because humanity's made of the same water, this special water. And the further this water gets from God, the more destructive it becomes. And so humanity starts becoming more and more and more evil until humanity continues to run from God and they find themselves entering into this giant flood. And so the picture is this uh, destructive humanity being swallowed up by this destructive literal flood that happens. And then this imagery begins to take on, okay, so water, destructive water, is also representing the wrath of God. All right? So, these are the stories that God's people are hearing while they're slaves in Egypt. They know these stories very, very well. So, let's get back to what's happening. In Egypt, these horrible things that are happening, the babies are being threatened to be killed, and they're being swallowed up by this evil snake king. So, God hears their people crying out, and he sends Moses, this great leader that's going to go and talk to Pharaoh. So Moses goes and talks to Pharaoh and says, listen, evil snake king, you got to let God's people go. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do it. And he's like, well, you have to because we're gonna send, God's going to send plagues. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do it. And so God sends the plagues. Pharaoh refuses to let his people go until God sends this plague of death. And Pharaoh's finally like, fine, get out of here. Just please, just leave us alone. And so finally, God's people are free. And they take off running with their, all the men, the women, and the children, the little babies. They're taking off running to get free. And as they are running, Pharaoh changes his mind. And he starts coming after them. And as he's coming after them, this like he sends his warriors. And so what's this a picture of? This is a picture of a sea of warriors of death chasing down God's people. And so they're running. And Pharaoh, this evil snake king, and his warriors are getting closer and closer and closer to God's people until what happens? They come right up to the edge of land and then there becomes this 
chaotic sea of death in front of them. Basically, they're about to be sandwiched between death and death. A literal sea that will cause death and a figurative sea of warriors that's going to bring death upon them. And they're saying to Moses, what have you just done? You've brought us out here to die. And so Moses says, oh man, let me go talk to God. So Moses goes and cries out to God and God says, God says to Moses, Moses, what are you doing? Have you not read the stories that I've told you about what I do with water and how I move water no matter what it is? And so Moses says, oh yeah, thanks God, I remember. Moses says, raise your staff. And so Moses raises up his staff and what happens next? The sea, the chaotic sea of death is parted. And God's people pass through the sea. And as they exit out on the other side, the literal sea of death, because guess what those warriors of death are doing? They're chasing them down. And so this literal sea of death comes down on all evil and destroys it. So that is what happens. God saves them with a mighty hand and outstretched arm, and the snake is crushed. Now, what does this have to do with baptism? It has everything to do with baptism. This is the story that baptism is playing out, one of the stories, but it is a main picture of what it's like for God's people to leave slavery to sin and death, pass through the waters of sin and death, and come out free on the other side. Baptism is the public display that you believe that is true. Now, by the way, if, if you didn't know this, why are we talking about baptisms today? We're doing baptisms today. After the service is over, we're going to go do baptisms over by the causeway. And everybody's invited and everybody should come. All right, so I want you to remember something. Think back to the beginning. You're at a theater. You're at this play. And this is the story that's being acted out. You passing through the waters of sin and death to come out on the other side free, passing through the waters of the sea. And so you're in this play. Uh, They've picked you to go in it. And so you're entering into this story. And as you're entering into the story, you're like the Israelites. You're up against the, the waters of death and the warriors of death are both coming at you and you're about to be crushed by the two. And then all of a sudden, this mysterious surprise character shows his face. And as he walks out on the stage, all of the people there gasp, because who is it? It's this great and famous storyteller, and he has written himself into this story. He's written himself in, and this is the exact story of Christianity where God writes himself into the story of you and him in Christ. And so he writes himself into the story as this is all happening. Everybody's freaking out like the storyteller is here. We can't believe he's here. He has come. And then something even more shocking happens. Because one, why did he come? Because he's been watching you. Because he loves you. Because he wants to know you and he wants you to know him. And that's the only way for you to know him is for him to write himself into the story. And so he writes himself into the story and you see him and And then something incredibly shocking happens. The storyteller enters into the waters. And instead of holding a staff like Moses, he holds up the waters himself. Up upon the cross. With two outstretched arms holding death off of you. These warriors of evil death and death itself are being held off of you by Christ with his outstretched arms upon the cross. That's the imagery. Picture that. Picture that. So that is what's happening. It's holding the waters off of you. 
and you cross over to the other side. And then as you cross over to the other side, those waters, he lets them come. The waters of death swallow him up. And the waters of evil behind you swallow him up. And as he's being swallowed up by all evil, and as he's being swallowed up by death itself, death takes him and says to him, you can't handle this storm. And these evil warriors say to him, you can't handle this storm. And then he very quietly whispers to them, I am the storm. Oh, I got chills. And... And, and he takes them with him. That's what he's doing. He's, he's letting death take him. And then he's taking the grip of death. And he's taking the grip of evil. And he's holding both of them in his own death. And he's not letting go until they are drowned in these waters of death. So death is being killed by death itself. And he's holding them. But you're on the shore and you're watching it happen. And you're saying, oh my gosh, God, the storyteller has done this for me. But now he's gone. How does the story continue? The storyteller is dead. God is dead. What are we going to do? and then all of a sudden you see him walk up upon the water and he's walking towards the land and he comes to be with you. And act one. Oh, I still have the chills. Baptism is your story of that happening to you. And it's an amazing story. What's stopping you from doing this? Some doubt? Yeah. I, I mean, I have doubts. If doubts is what's stopping you, then you're never going to be baptized. It's, at some point, you just got to say, I'm going to go for this, and I'm going to believe. And if it's just a tiny bit of belief, and my doubts feel so strong, but I have these little tiny, like this little bit of faith, like the size of a mustard seed, God will do something amazing with that. So that is your baptism. And if you've been baptized, like you've believed and you've become a Christian, and let me ask you this, why is your life so riddled with fear? death or tomorrow or anxiety is crushing you why is this happening because you're not remembering your baptism you're not remembering that you've come out the other side of sin and death there's a celebration like believe this and there's a celebration happening on the shores the you've passed through the waters there's this giant celebration happening and now intermission act one ends you have intermission and then now act two begins and here's how act two starts it starts with a celebration God's people and you celebrating that you have passed through these waters of sin and death and you turn around to see what's next to find a wilderness. To find a desert. To find a life that looks incredibly difficult. A life filled with pain. And you say, oh no. This is all over again. So you look out. And this is the story of becoming a Christian. The Christian life is characterized, the Bible characterizes Christians as exiles, walking through the wilderness, walking through the desert, but where are they walking? Towards paradise. But we've got to walk through the wilderness first. And so Act 2 begins, from wilderness to paradise, you're in a desert. Now, see, the waters, the waters have just been held off of you. You haven't been crushed by them. So you arrive on land, but now what's the problem? Is the waters are completely gone. So remember what Eden was. Eden had that living water bubbling up underneath, giving all that's in Eden life. And so now where we find ourselves as Christians is on this dry desert plain, and we're dying of thirst. 
And that's exactly what happened to the Israelites. They came out the other side, and they're like, oh, Moses, yeah, that happened, and God saved us. I guess that was cool, but now we're really thirsty, and we're going to die. And then God says to Moses, do you see that rock over there? So the rock is actually representing Eden, and God says to Moses to do what to the rock? To strike it, and as he strikes it, what comes out of it? Water. Like the same type of water that was in Eden, this mountain rock. This is so cool what God's doing here. This imagery is amazing. And so the water starts flowing out of this rock, and people, their thirst is gone. And so this, do you, know, do you know the genius of the Bible? Do you know what Jesus is called in the Bible? A lot of things. One of the things he's called is the rock. Specifically, he's being referred to as that rock in the desert that was struck on the cross so that living water would flow out of him. So, Jesus on the cross is struck to be our living water where? In the desert. Here's what that means for the Christian. You pass through the waters, you're alive, but guess what? This earth has yet to have been baptized with fire where everything is going to, all that's wrong is going to be melted away and all that is right will be left. And so we're walking through a world that is not our home. You long for the peace of these waters, but it is not here. But Christ is, and he has come to be that rock, to be those waters of peace in the midst of the wilderness that we're walking through. See, a lot of you have become Christians. See, there's like a celebration. Like when someone first becomes a Christian, it's like every day it feels like a party and everything is awesome. Like the Lego song, like everything is awesome and everybody's celebrating all the time. And then what happens is that begins to fade and you become very aware that you are now in the wilderness and you're saying to yourself, what in the world has happened? I was promised new life and this sucks. So what happened? Well, you're in the wilderness now. And what do you do when you're in the wilderness? What do you do when you're in the desert? You go to the living water who is Christ. And you go and spend time with him. See, he's rescued you. He's kept the waters off of you. Act 2 starts, and now the things that you're doing in Act 2, because you just discovered him in Act 1. Now you're going to spend time with him. And when you spend time with him more and more, you are drinking more and more from the what? The living waters. In Act 2, you get to know the one who rescued you. Now, time in the wilderness for the Israelites, for God's people, do you know what it was a time of? It was a time of failure. God starts calling them stiff-necked people. Uh, They're worshiping false gods. They are failing over and over and over again. Listen, listen to me. If you're a Christian, listen. You have a new heart and you have new desires but your life can't seem to line up with those. And so you feel like a failure over and over and over again. Do you know why? Because you're in the wilderness. So welcome to the wilderness, my friend. It is a life where we keep failing over and over and over again. That line we kept saying over and over again, the steadfast love of God. That's key here. Because here's the thing. You didn't get rescued from the waters because of how much you love God. You got rescued from the waters because of how much he loves you. You didn't get rescued from the waters because you had this tight grip on God. You got rescued from the waters because of his tight grip on you. See, our problem is our faith wavers. 
Our love for God comes and goes. Our belief in him is like feels so fragile and the little things can happen to us and we're like, God, what are you doing to me? Why are you doing this? Are you even here? Yet his steadfast love remains. And it remains with us as we're walking through the wilderness. Even if it doesn't feel like he is with us, he is there. I want you to know that the failure that you feel in life, the shame that you feel, that's very normal. If you're a Christian and you're like, I thought this was all supposed to go away. Well, it can. Like You don't have to feel guilt and shame over every mistake that you make. But your guilt and shame are there because you're forgetting that God has cleared everything for you. Sin has no grip on you. Sin has no hold on you because he's dealt with it. He's killed it in death. He took it on the cross and it's gone now. So we have faith problems. It's normal. And the more you go to him in the wilderness, the more you're going to become who you're made to become because you're drinking from him the living waters. And and there's going to come a day when all the earth is baptized with fire and all that is wrong is melted away and everything will be made right. But until then, there's something else you have to pass through. The Israelites did this. So the Israelites are longing to get to the promised land. They're longing to get to paradise. And before they get there, there's another body of water they have to cross. So they're right up on the edge. They're right up on the edge of paradise. And right before they can get there, there's this Jordan River. And in this Jordan River, here's what happens. God, again, parts the smaller body of water. Because he's already dealt with the big thing. And it's not like there's a second baptism here, but here's what's going on. He's parting the water. And this is a representative of our physical death that we must pass through to get to the other side where we find our paradise with God. It's just on the other side of the river. Death is only something you just simply pass through. It has no grip on you. It has no hold on you. It's just something we pass through. And so here's what happens with the Israelites. The Israelites kept failing and failing, but they finally arrive right before they get to the promised land. And Moses has died at this point, and they have this new leader named Joshua. Now, Jesus actually is the same name as Joshua. And Joshua is their leader that brings them through this Jordan River. Now, watch, watch what happens. Jesus is baptized, do you know where? In the Jordan River. Same name as Joshua. Only when he is baptized in the Jordan River, the sea does not part. The waters do not part. Something else does. The heavens. The heavens open up. And then do you know what comes down upon him? A dove. Now, in the story of the flood, a dove is sent out. To go find what? Dry land. To go find what? This new Eden that humanity is supposed to dwell on. And so the, flood, the dove finds Eden the same way that this dove comes down upon Jesus in a way it's saying, well, it is saying, Christ is our new Eden. He has come and he is here. The dove has found him, so go to him. He is the dry mountain of God that has the living waters in him, who gives us everything that we long through in the midst of the wilderness and then brings us through into our great hope, which is eternal life with him. Now, your story, it's waiting to be written. Or, better yet, 
God has already written the story. And the spotlight is on you. The question is, will you enter in? And if you already have, the question is, will you keep going back to Christ over and over and over again as your living waters? You should. You should. All right, let me pray. God, we thank you so much that you have been gracious to us and you've sought us out and you've fought for us. God, you are a warrior. The Lord is your name. And so we thank you that you have fought. And we pray now, God, that we see this story, this story that can be us, the story can be true of us if we would just write ourselves into it or if you, we would just say yes to you writing us into it. And so, God, we pray right now that we would say that. That you would take this little tiny sliver of hope that we have that this story could be true and that you would put steroids upon it so it would well up into faith so that we would take a chance and go towards you and that we would then, in the wilderness, continue to go to you over and over and over again. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.